Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Howdy, folks. It's good old JR Jim Ross, pro wrestling broadcaster and barbecue enthusiast, inviting you to join me every week for my podcast, The Ross Report, right here on Podcast One. Each week, I talk to the biggest stars in sports entertainment. We talk about the news of the day, MMA, wrestling, football, and much more. Recently, I've talked to such folks as Chris Jericho, Kane, Sonny, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and Emmy winner, Rory Carp. Download and listen to The Ross Report every Tuesday at PodcastOne.com, the brand new Podcast One app. And be sure, folks, to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Podcast One presents Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze, an entertaining behind-the-scenes look at the world of food, where you'll hear from anyone and everyone from the culinary industry, including restaurateurs, TV hosts, celebrity chefs, producers of your favorite cooking shows, and many more. Now, here's your host, Richard Blaze. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to Starving for Attention. I'm Richard Blaze here with Jasmine Blaze. Heather is right there. You can't see her, but he's clo- she's close to me. Uh, Simon Majumdar is getting ready to walk in. Look yeah. at this guy over there. He's yeah, got like a hat. fedora. Man. He's lost like 10 or 12 pounds. Yeah. He's tanner than he usually is. Yeah. Uh, he's, I can tell he's feeling snarky too. Uh, it's <laughs> well, happening. He's British, so. he's, well, he's kind of always snarky, isn't yeah. he? But he's about to walk in the door. Um, up next is Simon Majumdar. Oh, Simon Majumdar is in the building wearing a fancy hat. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a sort of a high five. Across the table. Have you met my wife, Jasmine? No, we haven't. Oh my met. gosh! And now no. you have to to, me, to meet four feet away from each other over a long table. Uh, Simon Majundar, thank you for. It's taken a while to get you in the building, by the it, way. It has taken a while. I've yes. been on the road. I've barely been in the country. Well, that's. But this is par for the course, right? Is that what they say? Like you are always on the road, constantly. I constantly. Think I've been in LA about twenty days this year. That's oh amazing. Where did? Where is that? You have an awesome hat. Uh, it, isn't it? This yeah. was actually a, a gift from a radio presenter friend of mine called Neil Saavedra. Okay. You know him, who does a wonderful show called The Fork Report. Oh, and my he gosh. gave me this, and it has barely been off my head since. I just... I, it is, as we say in England, it's a titfer, if you know your Cockney rhyming slang. Titfer oh. tat. Oh, ah, it's, it's, it's a it's a titfer. It titfer. is a titfer tat. If you like think it's yeah. Cockney rhyming slang, like, you know, yeah. you have trouble and, trouble and strife, wife, right. whistle and flute suit, and hat is titfer tat. So it's a cracking new titfer, as I call it. <laughs> a cracking new it's titfer. Awesome. By the way, you also just uh, named, you, that's the title for this episode now. <laughs> okay, cracking new titfer. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no way we're going to get around with that. That's just too strong of an open. I also feel like a horrible host because I think I'm I'm going to give you one of my cookbooks, not a cool hat. So, like, you have other radio fr- like friends who are giving you like cool things and I'm going to give you a self-promotional I am book thrilled or two. to get a copy of your book oh you're so but see you're so kind you're so kind <laughs> you're also a little tan where where, where uh, were you recently gosh I wonder where this came from uh, well not so much this weekend because I was in DC uh, doing a Smithsonian food history weekend which was rather wonderful so I didn't get oh, it from wow. there but we just came back from hosting a food cruise in Europe which was a smashing thing to be asked to do by what? anybody how do you get on that I know how do you get that job yeah. <laughs> Hosting a food cruise yep. in... So we were in Barcelona, Ibiza, we were oh, in fun. Nice, Marseille, we were in Livorno, and then Ooh. finishing in Rome. That sounds cool. expensive. It was well. It was good for us because, and then we got to take people to all these wonderful, t- you know, towns and ten. Yeah, you know, because I know them all, and we went to you know go and eat Galician beef in Ibiza. We went to go and to the home of or one of the oldest restaurants that did Buya Base in Marseille. Sure, we went oh. to the places that do soccer. That fantastic um, pancake made out of chickpea batter that they do in Nice. Yeah. You know, we went and had bistecca Fiorentina in you know Livorno. I mean. It, it's not a hard life. As they say, every now and again, life stops kicking you in the bottom. And, to, and right now, it's not kicking me in the bottom. I was going to so say, well, I'm, well yeah. first of all, I'm incredibly happy for you because you're one of like my favorite people oh. in the sort of food, media, television <laughs> sort of universe, right? And we're all just grinding it out, but it sounds like things are going pretty smashingly now for you. Well, you I'm trying you to just, impress you with a British you know, type word. Just don't do your accent. I will your never. Your English accent I, it's borders horrible. on a hate crime. Yeah, and horrible. I don't want to hear it, it ever it, again. It, 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 it turns Jamaican really quick. <laughs> 
it's, yeah. it's an odd hybrid. I'm trying to think what it is. Yeah, I, like, I, I won't. I, you know, I'll probably do the open in my bad uh, British yeah. accent, but I will not <laughs> subject you to it. No, but I mean, things are things are great right now. I mean, the best thing about it all is that I'm getting to spend all a lot of time traveling with my wife. So this year we've been in the Caucasus, which nice. was incredible, life changing. In fact, Armenia and Georgia and Azerbaijan. That was when we tried to book you last. Uh, that's, that's right. right. And you had yeah. you had my colleagues on, and we I had your had your call, but you played it well because you get your own episode now. Oh, yeah. see, see I, yeah, yeah, you're, you know. you're a little smarter than <laughs> that. Yeah, Let's I, be honest. No, though. I would have loved to have been on with them because they're wonderful. But um, it's hard to talk over Antonia, though. Let's be honest. It's like, hard to ever beat Antonia because she always everything she's ever in. She's so competitive. She yes. is. She <laughs> would try and beat someone crossing the road. Seriously, <laughs> yes. She, yeah. I love her to bits, but she I, and I just don't have a competitive bone in my body. None. Wow. So no. we're what? zero. So is that because you didn't? Did you not play sports as a child? Well, Do you? a little, but I was never any good. But I'm. I think part of it's being a kind of reticent Brit, and it always seems dreadfully unpolite to want to try and beat someone. It's like, no, no, after you. Yes. Right. It's like <laughs> every night, so you know I'm a big soccer slash football fan. Well, not really. You support Arsenal. Oh, <laughs> oh nice. Well done. Well done. Well you have an allegiance. Well uh, I forget. I, in, is- in the, well, in the, um, in the premiership, I have a soft spot for Chelsea because my granddad supported them for years and years okay. and years. That makes but sense. But I don't support them. I support a team who are now in the third division oh, wow. called Rotherham United. Yes. Who are about halfway up, I think, at the moment. They, they, they lost on Saturday. But they're not a, they're not a good team. I but, thought they were called Rotherham United nil until I was about 15. <laughs> there, there you go. Because it took a couple of years for them to score their first it, goal, it, basically. It doesn't happen very often. But they've been around for 100 and something years. It's an old mining team cool. called United because I think it was a steel mill team and a, a mining team united and hence the name mm. where that comes from usually yeah i love that that's the thing about specifically like european like soccer leagues football leagues is that you have these teams like they're kind of i mean yes of course th- that team is professional but it's also to the point where like no these guys were just hanging out at the pub and we gave them a red shirt and they just become became the town's well, team well we usually end up <laughs> playing like that they look like they've had a couple beforehand <laughs> but i love the history of it if you go back and you know you look at juventus that was started by people from Newcastle, hence the fact they wear black and white. You look at Atletico Madrid, that was started by miners from Sunderland, and that's why they wear red and white stripes. Mm-hmm. So you have this great history with soccer as you go around it. And even the term soccer, which we think of as an American thing, was actually a British term. They came up with the word soccer to create, uh, because they wanted a word that was equivalent of rugger, which is what the posh people call rugby. Right. And so they came up with soccer, which came out of association football somehow. I'm not quite sure of the, how that, they got to that. Interesting. But. So for someone who's not competitive... Uh, obviously, though, you're into sports because you know all of this history. And you, you weren't just talking about, like, an English teams there. You were rattling, You were talking about Spanish teams and Italian oh, yeah. teams. And- well, it's history more than anything that I find fascinating. I mean, I love watching, you know, my team. And even though they're not very good, I love watching them. And they're kind of in my heart and soul because I think your team chooses you. And once you've got there, there's no, there's no getting away from it. And even though I, I could easily <laughs> – I live next door to Chelsea's ground and near Arsenal's ground for yes. years. Yes. And it, it of no interest to me. And I would still drive up the motorway 200 miles to go and watch them on a Saturday back in the day. That's no, hardcore. Now, oh, no, you, I was very hardcore. Now, can you catch their games here? Uh, not, on, not on TV. Unless you get someone I, like a cell phone. Live feed. Uh, <laughs> Facebook live feed I from one it. of the, someone in the grandstand. Yeah, I actually exactly. do it. I actually do it on, yeah, on Twitter or whatever, and I and I do it, and usually it's oh, like, wow. there's, my wife goes, well, you know, there's a big sigh sometime at 7 o'clock <laughs> on a Saturday morning when they, they've conceded their first goal. Right. But I think the history of it, it's like anything. That's my big passion now is with food, food history and stuff as well. Sure, sure. Now, um, uh, embarrassingly enough, my uh, what is the typical like um, British food experience at a match? Because we've been to a game at Highbury, yeah, yeah, and uh, I had my first meat pie there. Oh, of course, pie and a pint. Yeah, yeah. pie and a pint. You've got to have a pie and a pint. It's to me, it's. I, or uh, if you've never encountered a cup of bovril, have you? You know, what no, bovril is? no. Okay, so, okay. so bovril, it's a real old thing. So bovril is is basically like a beef stock. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, bovine. It came. It was basically an extract after the uh, basically of the slaughter industry. And they made stock and bovril you'd use to make gravy. But a bovril with a hot water, so it's like a cup of beef stock on a cold Saturday. And where mm-hmm. I came from in Yorkshire, would chill the cockles of your heart. And it was one of those things. So bovril or a, and a, a pint beforehand, obviously yeah. with your mates, go and have a couple of pints. And did you say cockles of your heart? The, just, it warms yeah, the cockles so of your heart. Have you never heard that great. before? No. There's, there's so many. Now, now when you say, when you say <laughs> when you say cockles, there are you talking about the shellfish? 
Yeah, it's like they call it the cockles. I don't know. It comes from the Latin. I can't quite remember where it comes from. But the cockles of your heart are like warming you to your bones. Mm-hmm. And on a cold Saturday and uh, watching a football match. In the old days when you used to stand, of course, when I was a kid. And, and far worse, I can't, I'm not sure on here whether I can go into the depths of when it was really packed on the terraces. Right. And people couldn't <laughs> get to the restrooms and right. you... You, you encountered things like the Hot Pocket. I remember being on the Liverpool, on the, on the, in the cop in Liverpool, which was one of the great experiences when they were in their pomp in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And you, you were packed like, yeah, I, people obviously can't see this on the podcast, but imagine, you know, shoulder to shoulder. I mean, yes. I'm surprised they didn't have a lot more, you know, accidents. But you would suddenly feel your leg going a little warm, and it's because you, someone just couldn't move and went to the bathroom because they'd had too many Wow, pounds. that's and you, hard. And that's you hardcore. Came, and you came out with a hot pocket, and it was kind oh. of – it's, it's, it's a horrible <laughs> thing. Oh, it's Simon Majumdar. Yeah. That, first of all, if that goes viral here from this podcast, like there's going to – I can You're see that – responsible. Yeah. Like I, now I can see that being a college football thing here in the College States. football, giving someone bet, a hot pocket. I bet maybe like Wisconsin, you know, up there. Well, we so just like got back from Wisconsin. Parallels. Let's be nice to the uh, on no, no, Wisconsin. No, no. Uh, yeah, the weather. Oh, the weather. It's got to be cold. They drink lots of I beer. Mean, there's some parallels. They, I they, love Wisconsin. They saturated with cheese, though. So do I. I That's was my. I was no, not my first time to Wisconsin, but my first time spending. Uh, a little bit of time there, and I was just amazed by it, by the way. Uh, I think uh, Madison is just one of the most kind of vibrant towns I've been to. I was up there making cheese when I did my last Naturally. book. And they are just lovely people and mm. really kind of vibrant. I mean, that vibrant scene, I think that's one of the exciting things right now. The, all the most vibrant stuff I'm finding is not in L.A., Chicago, New York. It's in Richmond, Virginia. It's in... Yeah, the best thing I ate last year was in Fresno. You know, really? Who, who knew? Okay, so but, that's but, I mean, I'm, that could be because it just probably was grown a couple yards from wherever you were eating it. Well, probably. that's the thing; they have everything up. They're saying they're talking. I'm going off in tangents. Sorry, I didn't. No, that this is how we do it. So this <laughs> yeah. is perfect for us. Going Jesus, in all yeah. kinds of we, different we'll directions. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the um, yeah, this is just it's a really exciting thing going on in the U.S. right now. I honestly believe we're on the edge of this real golden age of food in the U.S. with the development of craft industries and mm. second and third generation immigrants bringing their their you know traditions i don't say, i never say elevating them because the food is fantastic to begin with but bringing their their traditions into kind of the american vocabulary and adding that to what we already have and you go to these towns now and also you know yourself if you're in a town and you know the rent is one just ludicrous in new york Chicago, mm. wherever you are so they go back to the small towns or their hometowns and they take their tra- you know, uh, training with them. Sure, right. So the the chef who trained in New York City or L.A. or Vegas or whatever goes back to small town Wisconsin, Minnesota, whatever it Starts is. Starts cooking up with all those wonderful local ingredients. That's you know what you are. You just continue to impress me because I think you know we know you as like this international, world renowned traveler scholar, um, but like you're just like waxing about domestic travel, which I didn't know you did a ton of domestic travel. I've been travel. to every state. I've been I, to every we, state in the U.S. Our research, yeah. uh, research, our research queen that. over here, Jasmine, <laughs> our research did that. showed. Yep, uh, I have not, which I'm like, you beat me again. <laughs> you beat me again. Probably the one time. It's, here's the thing. I, I love the places in the U.S. that don't I'm – I'm an underdog. In the, I'm an underdog in everything I do, and I always have been. I'm always, mind state, always, or you feel like, or you are an underdog. No, because I, I have I, the mind state of like I'm always an underdog. I, well, no, I, I suffer constantly from imposter syndrome, and I'm always expecting someone mm-hmm. to tap me on the shoulder and saying, "You shouldn't be doing this. Get back to whatever you, you know, working in a bar, which is fantastic anywhere. Like right? Working bar, yeah, anything. So I always suffer from that, but I also I'm an underdog. I'm kind of, you know, always think I'm punching above my weight. And when I'm on shows with people like you, and I, you know, I was out having supper with Zakarian last night and hanging out with Alton when we do whatever. Yeah. And I just go, I have no right to be in this room. And I feel that all the time. So I, I think I kind of make an effort to go out there. And that's why in the U.S., when I travel around, I love hanging out in these towns that don't get any love and giving them and giving them just hanging out with them because i think i we work in the same way so you know i was recently in detroit which had, obviously from a food point of view hasn't get, been getting much love recently had incredible food there's a restaurant there called chartreuse that i think was one of the best i've eaten in, in the last couple of years or in fresno or in kansas city or in these places mm. that no one talks about right and yet there's incredible things happening in these places so is that your next is that your next tv show because it sounds to me like that's that's one that would be uh, that should be. <laughs> are you going to? You, you have anything to reveal here or no? Uh, no, just, I, I, got, I think TV's pretty much forgotten me at the moment. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't. You, think had, I you had, di- had dinner with Zakarian last night, so uh, TV well, hasn't yeah, forgotten. TV you. people. Because why would he be having dinner with <laughs> well, you? Well, no, because he's, he's my pal. He's. <laughs> I have joke. to say, probably of. 
of all the people I've kind of got to know well on the show, and um, you know, he's become like one of my closest pals, and we're very different. I mean, you know, I I walk around in my clothes from you know Old Navy that I've had for oh, thirty years, I don't and know. he's in his Tom Ford. You sound and you're speaking like yeah, the underdog know, right now because you came in here with a pretty snazzy hat, and yeah, I was going to say it was a present. Majumdar <laughs> and Jakari and like two posh boys. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the yeah. name of the no, show. Yeah, the yeah, two posh boys. There it is. Two posh boys. It make a great. That would make a great show. That's a good show, right? But I um. I, I just think the, there's these fantastic people out there in this country, and when you just go and pay pay some attention and go to these towns, it's amazing, and, and, and it just makes me really, really excited. So, no, from a TV point of view, you know, I've got a couple of things. I'm actually working on a food history project right now oh, that I okay. really, really want to do, and uh, then I've got another, you know, couple of things in development. Um, but obviously since, you know, we're, I don't know what's cutthroat's obviously on a hiatus right now, so that's a little quiet. From that point of view, it's been great, though, because what happened last year was we were doing a lot of filming, and I didn't get to do as much of my speaking and lecturing and demoing sure, that I sure. to do. So right, right now what the, it's given me the chance is to travel around the country and, I'm to, and around the world. So I was just in Abu Dhabi doing an event there. Ooh. Uh, I'm off to Cyprus and Athens to do some stuff later in the year or beginning of next year to talk about food history to talk about the way food brings people together around the world and that's my you know that that's my big passion is the fact that food you can sit down with anyone anywhere in the world and it doesn't matter what their religion their politics their income is and you can have a meal and you're the same people uh, and that to me is kind of my big it's kind of your thing, and it's yeah. your thing. You're really good at it. Like, I mean, you just sat down and were, were rattling off like historic facts about <laughs> yeah. different foods in different places. You're like the professor. Can you be like the resident history professor on Starving for Attention? Like, if we have <laughs> a question, would, I would consider that my up. honor. I love doing it. I went to the. I said I just went to Smithsonian, and they asked me to be moderate some roundtables right. and do a demo at the Food History Weekend. That's and cool. there are these magnificent scholars who go in depth into all kinds of very narrow parts of history of food history and then i got to sit with them and it was hog heaven for me i mean absolutely i was sitting over lunch or having a drink with some of them doing fascinating fascinating things chairs of the departments of food studies at new york university people from princeton and i mean i last week I did. A, I cooked a dinner with the Department of History at UCLA. Okay, cool. and you brought, did the cooking. I did the right. cooking, which I know you're quite well, people, the cook. People su- are surprised that I actually cook. I'm not. I'm not you, for example. So no. don't, please don't put me up against you, unless it's got Eric Greenspan judging. <laughs> but, uh, sorry, sorry. I promise not to bring that up. But um, we brought in this professor, Paul Friedman, who's written the most wonderful book called Ten Restaurants That Changed America." I'm sure you've yeah, seen. Yeah, yeah, we have seen it. Yeah. So he's a professor at Yale. We brought him over. We went to one of the alumni, uh, one of the alumni uh, people from uh, Department of History at UCLA, and they have this beautiful, beautiful house up in Bel Air. And we cooked. We cooked one dish from each of the ten restaurants, and I cooked it. And then Paul came out with me, and we talked about these dishes. So we did things like um, oysters Rockefeller from Antoine's. We did fried clams from Hojo's. Wow, Sylvia's wow. peach cobbler. Wow, fried clams from Hojo's. Yeah. I grew up with that. Every, like, everyone said that. No one, but kids nowadays, they don't even know what a Hojo's is. Well, this is we. we so Howard Johnson's. So right? it's Howard yeah. Johnson's, and they were a chain. I mean, people might know them as a. Hotel I think there's now. still yeah. a few there's two left. left right? Okay, couple, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, just yeah. a click left. Yeah. And um, and it was funny because we had some of the things going way back. We did like the Mandarin Hotel from San Francisco. We did red uh, cooked eggplant. Oh, um, okay, which wow. is wonderful, wonderful uh, spicy dish. And then we did. What else did we do? Well, we did volavant. I mean, when was the last time anyone asked you to make a volavant? Uh, yeah, it's been a while. I, I, I though, uh, am not a historian like yourself, but I do like going back in, like, a LaRousse gastronomique oh. and finding, like, a traditional dish like volavant and sort of playing with them at least. But the ones that people like most of all, and this was, again, all these history people, yeah. and were, um, we, had, we did chicken a la king. Mm. I mean, I mean, talk about going back. What is chicken? I don't even remember what so that's that is. A, that was a Delmonico dish we brought in. So okay. a, a lot of obviously a lot of dishes originated mm. Delmonico, but it's it's kind of chicken cooked sh- uh, mushrooms sautéed in sherry, uh-huh. and then cooked with cream and uh, po- chicken that's been poached in stock, and you kind of thicken it up a little bit. So you thicken up with a, a like a velouté. And people love that. Yeah. And people went nuts for it. That the other one was Mama Leone's lasagna. Oh. <laughs> well, how do you know? I mean, you I mean, just it's, buy it's title. A lasagna. Right, I mean, it exactly. Was, it's and it's really complicated for such a dish that they served at quite a simple Italian restaurant. Bechamel, the whole thing. Long, Bechamel, uh, yeah. meat sauce, marinara. Yeah, lots of Mozzarella. Lots of, lots of, many hours going into that. Many, Gra- many, Grandma's many hours. cuisine is always 
you know, take well, time. Because they, they had more time. I that's mean, right. That's the simple thing. Before right. the change in kind of the women's role in the workplace, particularly between the First World War and then particularly, obviously, after the Second World War, women, women's role changed. They wanted to be in the workplace and had every right to be there, and, and food changed to allow it. Yeah. Absolutely. And, of course, it changed how we eat so, in some ways for the worse because we lost this connection of people teaching other people which is where things like Food Network came in and helped. Exactly, and jumped in. Oh, by the way, chicken a la king, that's pretty much the first dish I ever cooked for you. I was going to say. When I, I was courting it. you. I'm using I a proper... I recognized all the ingredients. Wooing. Wooing, Thanks. okay. Wooing is better, okay. <laughs> uh, it was pretty much great. that. I might have called it marsala, but it wasn't yeah, marsala. It was it sherry. It was sherry, yeah. I and remember, uh, that was know. like the first dish that I... It worked, by the way, obviously. You're still, we're still Here married, we so that works. Here so that's interesting. You were cooking because one of the little research things we've been doing with our guests is just Googling them and seeing what pops up. Oh, dear. In the first, like, five, like, well, there's this, there's this interesting thing that happens where you Google somebody, and I, maybe it's just on the mobile format, but it also says like like related searches to oh, this I get person some weird that runs. you just write. Yeah, you so got some weird like, runs. So yeah. we did a little research, Jasmine, oh, right, no, on, on the Simon and So some of my favorites that popped up, and it usually pops up like four or five things, yeah, right, exactly. what other people are searching for. And you just said you were cooking. One of the most popular things that pops up is, is Simon Majumdar, an Iron Chef. Yes. Like, not are you on Iron Chef or are you a judge, but are you an, an Iron, Iron Chef? Chef? Which I'm obviously very much not. <laughs> Uh, and I wouldn't be able, although I have cooked on Iron Chef and I, yeah. I have a one and zero record of wow. winning undefeated. So you undefeated nice. at the one time I was ever asked to cook. So you beat an Iron Chef. Well, no, what happened was, to give you the background, it was one of the scariest things I've ever done, but also one of the most fun. I was judging an episode late at night because we do two a day and this one was running quite late. And I can't even remember who was doing it. And the producers came up and said, say yes. And I was like, that's, that's worrying. What do you want me to say yes right? to? But yeah. I, yeah, I said yes. And they said, uh, we're having a celebrity edition tomorrow, and Bobby Flay's cooking with Anthony Anderson. Okay. Yeah, star yeah, of Blackish, sure. wonderful yeah. show, yeah. terrific guy. And they said, um, Morimoto was supposed to cook with John O'Hurley from uh, Seinfeld, you know, Peterson from Seinfeld. Oh, okay. Right, right. And, and he's stuck in, I think he was stuck in Boise, or I mean, he just, there was some problem with planes, and he just couldn't make it. Right. They said, you're cooking with Morimoto, be here at 6 o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> oh, wow. So I turned nice. up, and cooked i think it was like a thanksgiving episode i can't remember or maybe it was leftovers <laughs> and i made a few cocktails and i didn't do because morimoto the crazy thing is obviously he's a magnificent chef sure i mean every, he's one of the chefs that other iron chefs come in to watch because they have no idea what he's going to do and he's so <laughs> wonderful but he sometimes forgets that you're not japanese so right. he just starts talking <laughs> yeah, 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 and i'm watching nice. him yes. and i said in the interview afterwards you know he made me an offer i couldn't understand yeah <laughs> so in the end there would be one or two words he'd go da, 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 tomato right. and i'd go okay i guess right. i'm gonna i'm just gonna stand in the corner with a knife and a tomato and do something until he tells me to do something else <laughs> anyway so i take no credit for it but we beat bobby sometimes in. you just got to be on the right roster yeah, as you know take, yeah. and now take now all of a sudden people are looking for you as an iron chef so it kind of worked out it, it was fun and i love being part of that family because you know we just they've just announced there's some more coming up and i yeah. judged some of those and it feels like putting on a nice comfortable pair of shoes because that was the first job well next iron chef was the first job i ever did which was the most kind of unlikely thing for me coming from a totally different background from around the world and suddenly finding myself, you know, I remember standing on a beach next to Alton and Michael Simon going, how did this happen? So real quick, as a fan now, you said that, so Iron Chef's coming back. I, I think everyone sort of heard that rumor. You're, you're, you're They've announced that. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's been announced. It's not a um, does it feel, did, does it feel retro now that you're back? Like, does it feel like mm. it's been away or is it just like we're picking up from episode 376? A little bit of the, a little bit of, it's just like, like I said, putting on a comfortable pair of shoes and going, ah. ooh, why haven't I uh. put these on for a while? Right. Because it's so good. And then you see, you know, Michael or Bobby whoever it is cooking and you just go wow these guys really are you know the business uh, but also there's a lot of freshness because they had the Iron Chef showdown where sure. they brought in Stephanie from yes. Chicago who wanted to become the new Iron Chef and you know she's cooking in, in a very different way her approach to food no less valid but she's coming from a, a young a slightly younger generation right. right and so just her approach to food is very different so and from even just eating her food when you go to chicago or you go to the golden goat or whatever and so i think it's it's put the iron, other iron chefs on their metal a bit they've kind of gone oh okay there's yeah, yeah there's a new sheriff in town you know we need to watch our game so they're stepping up and she's obviously cooking magnificently otherwise she wouldn't have become an iron chef so i think it's given it an extra edge and I really love that. And for me, that's when, from my point of view as well, I love being a food critic. 
You are. Like, I'm, you're a serious food critic. Yeah. And by that, yeah. I don't mean... I try and explain it. In fact, I was trying to explain this at a Q&A at the Smithsonian. I go, it's not going, this is yummy, because that's meaningless. Right. It's trying to put things in context, going, you've said you've cooked me an okonomiyaki from Hiroshima. Yes. And I go, no, you haven't. You've made a pancake with some stuff on it. It might be tasty. But don't name something and call it something, and it isn't. You're that guy. You're that judge. You're you're a a stickler for title. Well, I think if if you say something or if you go, I have laced this with cayenne and done this and this and this, and it's not there. Right. So I think those kind of details. And then I think the job, and you know, you've done judging. The job of a judge is to kind of vicariously explain to the people at home mm-hmm. why something works and doesn't. And that's the same in all criticism, film criticism, music criticism. Does it fit into a context? Does it make sense in that context? And does it deliver on that? So in- what's, what's the out for the competitor then? Is, are you okay with a competitor doing one of these? It's, it's, no. it's kind of like this? No, right? okay. no, no air quotes <laughs> when I'm judging. No air quotes? And no, it's a, what about it's a play on, it's a riff off my, of this? Or, or my version of... No, <laughs> yes, that just right. means you got it wrong. Right. Right. So then what do you – well, this is interesting. So I'm going to take you – you judged uh, you judged me as a cook on Cutthroat, I think, I did, once, yeah. Right? And I remember, like, having to cook a ramen – I think it was a ramen dish for you. Yeah, it was actually really good. Okay, good. I'm glad you liked it. But it was definitely not traditional. Now, Cutthroat Kitchen is a little different. Yeah. Everyone understands that it's kind of I give wacky. people a bit more of a pass Okay, fair, fair enough. But, like, I remember being, oh, this isn't really a, a, a traditional ramen. It's not a traditional broth. So I felt a lot, of, a lot of nerves sort of presenting to you, knowing that the fact that you have all this – this history background. But I think in that instance, and if I re- try and remember the episode correctly, it wasn't It wasn't that it was necessarily – I mean it was, it was good. But right. it wasn't necessarily that it was good as a ramen. There was just something else out there that w- was worse. Right. And it's always that thing. <laughs> nice, nice. You don't, well played. No, yes. you, you don't have to be if, – it's like if you're, if you're running from a bear – you don't have to be fast. You just have to be faster than the, one other person. The other person. person in your party. Exactly. And you were. Yes. And that's the yes. way to – in a lot of these shows, that's the way to progress. By the way, you just broke down all of my success cooking on television. <laughs> I'm not that good. I'm just usually better than the you know someone right behind me most of the time. That's the story thank of my you life. For, you just revealed that. You just Sorry. ripped that Band-Aid right off. Uh, and you know, here's an interesting segue of one of the other Google things. And this one, oh I'm not making this up. Okay, no. go on, this is one of the Google things that just pops up when you pop your name up is, where is Richard Blaze's restaurant? Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I don't know. Maybe because we're both cutthroat judges. Yeah. And sometimes, Some you know, they look for you, they look for me, they're looking for Jed, Antonio, whatever it is. And then these things sort of get cross-pollinated, if you will. But I thought that that was kind of a magical moment. I feel like I'm honored yeah, yeah. to be in your sort of like a Google stream. I'm thrilled to have you in there. It's, it's a symbiosis. That's what's going on. Hey, everyone. Hope you're enjoying uh, the show. Uh, you know we love True Car. Uh, And in order to feel comfortable that you're getting a fair price when you're buying a car, you need pricing context, information that empowers you to feel confident. With TrueCar, you'll see what other people in your local market paid for the car you want. From there, you can connect with a TrueCar certified dealer and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. TrueCar will show you what other people in your area paid for the car you want, so now you know what a fair price is. Once you register, you'll see real pricing on actual inventory. This is competitive pricing offered to you only by a TrueCar certified dealer for an actual vehicle on their lot. It's pricing you'll see before going to a dealership so you can feel ultra confident when you show up. TrueCar customers are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with TrueCar certified dealers. I kind of wish we did that for the faster buying experience. Uh, and TrueCar users save an average of over $3,000 off of MSRP. That's a lot of money, $3,000. Uh, TrueCar shows their customers all of their available incentives before they arrive at the dealership. There are over 13,000 TrueCar certified dealers nationwide. That's a lot. I hope that they're all listening to Starving for Attention. Uh, but listen, when you're ready to buy Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Uh, And some of these features are not available in all states. But our podcast is available in all states, and we're back to it. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. What's going on, man? Hi, guy. Yeah. Yeah, the team. Loveline, man. You guys remember us from back in the day? Well, we're doing a pod, and we're doing it every day. And we've been doing it for a while. And if if I hear one more time people say, God, I loved you and Adam together on Loveline. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're doing a podcast. Will you please just join us at the Adam and Dr. Drew Show, please? AdamandDrewShow.com. It's a great show. Come on now. Only on Podcast One. That's us, Adam and Dr. Drew Show. Just like the old days. Doctor's orders. Oh, Oh, man, you're funny. Yep. All right, let's go save some babies. Let's do it. 
You're listening to Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze. The, the next one, though, this is the one that really uh, we want an answer on. Oh, God. We need an answer. Go on. Uh, it's, like, it's deep down the line, so it's not something that pops up uh, at the top. But one of yours that pops up with the Simon Majumdar search is, what is Anne Burrell most known for? <laughs> And I don't know, like, why this is obviously, again, some sort of food network oh, cross-pollination. It's, it's the next Iron Chef, probably, because I judged Anne on the next Iron Chef. Ah, and okay. Uh, when they did they did a superstar season, it was actually the season that Zakarian won. Got it. Okay, yes, and, yes. And they had, I mean, amazing people. They had Robert Irvine and Amberell and Alex Guanicelli and Elizabeth Faulkner and, you know, big, big, big names. Greenspan, I think, was on it as well. And Anne went out... I mean, she she's a you know was expected to be a big player in it, and right. she was, but she went out in the last four. So you know that, and she has a huge support group. Of course, of course, she's hugely popular. Yeah, yeah, on the Food Network and and deserves it. But so I got a lot of hate mail for. I mean, there were two people. <laughs> oh, when they, okay, so this might be what it, it was is. probably okay. that. So yes. when when Robert Irvine went out. And when Anne went out, that's when I got the most, like, I mean, in fact, not with Some feedback, not with yeah. Anne. There was one. I actually got death threats. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh like, really? People get that into is, this. Yeah, wow. that's a little too much. Little and it was like, more, if uh, I ever uh, see you in the street, I want to, like, stab you through the heart. Mm. And I hope you. And, it, yeah. of course, it's anonymous and it comes from an un. Are you of sure? Course, Are you sure course. it wasn't Anne? But, yeah, could it? <laughs> was it Anne? No. <laughs> 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 She's all. I've worked with Anne since. No, she's, she is incredibly she's talented. A, she's yeah. a, a very, very talented. The yeah. food is delicious, and B, she's a complete professional, and they, she knows how those things work. So, you know, it's like all of them. That people who are in that business, like you, when I'm judging you on Cutthroat, you know, it's honest, and you know how competitive it is. I saw you. This, I have to tell, share with you the funniest oh thing. Yes. This is the funniest story. I tell this about you and Antonio, but uh, primarily about you. <laughs> so when we did the last, when we did the last one, we competed the street. That's me and Jet and Antonio and you. Yes, and yes. we're there early, early in the morning, mm-hmm. and I'm just sitting inside with Jet. I say I've got. I thought I'm going to go out first, and maybe I can get home early and hustle. It's called the hustle. It's called the hustle. <laughs> I, 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 you're hustling. I'm not, I wasn't hustling at all. <laughs> so I. So I'm sitting there chatting with Jet. We're, ca- we're catching up on whatever we're going to do because I don't, you know, see him so often. I love him. He's a smashing guy. I was like, where are the others? So we go out and you're out in the parking lot <laughs> doing stretches. <laughs> they're, seriously, they're doing, seriously, they're like warming up out in the parking lot, both of you. Oh like they're gosh. going in to do 10 rounds with, you know, Anthony Joshua, the new heavyweight champ. And Jet and I kind of, we That's just gave each other this look of kind of amusement. <laughs> And I just said, never going to happen. Yeah. I went back in and yes. finished my cup of tea. Yeah. And I still tell this story when I talk about you because you guys who've been in these competition shows for a long time, A, you're really good because you've got lots of techniques for getting through these struggles. You right. know how it works much more than I do because I don't do it very often. And B, you really are very, very, very competitive. And I, I just don't get it. It's a horrible also, thing. He's a technician, right? So like, he focuses on how quickly can I get from the station to the pantry? I, you actually called them on it because Altam's plinth was <laughs> yes. in the middle, and you said that's going to add a couple of seconds to my run. Exactly. And I, <laughs> and I thought you were joking, yeah. and Antonio oh, no, looks no. at me and went, no, no yeah. not, joking, <laughs> no. not joking. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'd love to do <laughs> Listen, to, to, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the episode, Simon ends up winning the whole thing. No, he, do, no, he does not. He oh. Does, no, no, no. You beat you're... me. Okay. Well, I forget right. after I lose. Yeah, so, yeah. like, everything, I black out I after got that. into black the finale, and then Antonio. You beat me, you get to the final with Antonia. And then she... And she had enough money, and I had to go and cook a dish where I didn't know what the dish was. That's right. That's right. I which had to is be insane. Away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had no chance. Yeah. And I'd, she's she, more competitive than I. I mean, uh, maybe. She's I, so mean. So. Both of you are. Yeah. yeah. And she's also she's a better cook than I am. I mean, you know, she's a great cook. Yeah, I don't know about better than you. I haven't haven't dined with I you could cook, enough. Like, give me give me a, a limited sphere of stuff, and I love doing. Like I said, what I did last week going and getting recipes and working on them and doing the history behind them. and But you guys have got such a wide kind of sphere of what you could cook because of your training that if you're presented with something, you go, I can go eight ways with this and I know how to do a rough puffin, blah, 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 and I know the ice cream machine is your friend, whereas, you know, I'd never uh, used that ice cream yeah. machine in there. All ever. technology is your friend. The yeah, microwave so is your friend. And it's all... It's it, fryer, so you, the fryer is your best friend. You know how to make <laughs> stuff out of this. And I love... Being part of it, but in some ways I don't consider myself part of it. And I think that's part of the thing with TV because I think sometimes on TV they're not quite sure where to 
quote me. Right. So but you, you, you said you're not competitive. You opened kind of with that. Are you competitive as a performer, like as a judge? Like, are you uh, like th- like are you watching your performance on Iron Chef or Cutthroat or any of these I shows? I never, never watch myself. Never shows. watch yourself. Never. What about? Are you watching other people and listening to their vocabulary and like? Because you have a, a very like you have an angle that's like, you know, so definable. Well, I I think when I'm doing it on TV, I try and compliment. So I'm I'm lucky. I work with you know really really smart people when I'm judging. You know, if I've got Michael Simon there, he could talk. I'm not going to have an argument with him necessarily about an execution point of view, right? Or Judy Jew or someone like that, but. I can say to him, well, yeah, here's where I think it fits in. And there are certain execution things. Something's just overcooked or it's not. And those right. are usually pretty right. obvious. But I'm lucky that I, I can compliment them. And it doesn't get – sometimes you see judging and it gets a little competitive between them. They like to think they're going to have an argument. And they don't. I don't get into those situations terribly much because – I think they know that I'm coming at it from a different point of view. Do you ever get worried that, like, especially because your thing is travel, right? And you're you're an eater, right? Uh, you ever get worried that, like, oh wow, I'm about to tell Zakari in this, and like, there goes my uh, lamb chop. Uh, <laughs> there goes him hand, you know, hand basting my lamb chops um, tomorrow. I, I've got no filter. I'll tell them. I mean, and they know it, Bobby, and all of them. Even Jeffrey said it last night when we we're having supper. And we were talking about something. Yeah, I um, feel like you told me that there was a day where you sent a fish back at 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 Jeffrey's I did. place. I, yeah, I sent back a I sent, I sent back a Dover sole. It yes, cost, yeah. it came out at seventy bucks. So it was, <laughs> I think it was overcooked. I it. And I sent it back. And I I said to him, I'm pretty sure they sent out the same piece just covered in half a pound of melted butter. Right. And he said, I, that would never happen. I know, I'm sure it wouldn't. He <laughs> right. got he got terribly upset. Right. But I, yeah, I sent it back, and I just said it wasn't very good. Right. And he asked me why. I said it was overcooked. Huh. And I said, and I, he knows the thing is, I'm not being spiteful about it and I'm certainly yeah. never ever ever rude to servers because it's a hard, you know, a tough job and I would never do it of course but I'm just like I'm afraid this isn't right and I don't care where I am I'd do it at anyone's restaurant so do you think yeah. that the fact that you're just so truth based does that make you the like the evil judge like do you think you're the bad cop uh, on I a think, lot of these shows I think so and I think also the accent comes in I sound like a Star British, Wars villain yeah. basically right yeah. yeah I like that I'm obviously so, wearing a Star Trek well I'm, today, I'm, I'm but. so glad because I have to say Star Trek is far greater than Star Wars oh, oh wow, wow you're, that's a controversial statement some, it's a controversy a Doctor Who's better than both of them oh, so. oh wow way too very British. British very British have you ever watched Doctor Who I have I have not intensely but I should Torchwood so at the dinner last week John Barrowman, who played Captain Jack in Doctor Who, was there at the dinner. Oh, wow. And my wife, I, I thought she was going to run away and leave me. She was like, she was so excited about Kat. He's wonderful. <laughs> He's fantastic. Well, we know, of course, you know, one of my places is in San Diego, so we yeah. get lots of Comic Con oh, people. So, you know, we spend a whole, you know, two weeks of our of our year just cooking for stormtroopers and trekkies. <laughs> people coming in with long scarves. People dressed as telephone yeah. booths yeah. and, scar- and yeah. scarves. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I would say that you kind of are uh, sometimes like the evil judge, but that's okay. You, you think it's because of the accent, the Simon Cowell thing too, maybe? You I think, think also it's a use of language. British people tend to have a, a kind of more... Uh, certainly not smarter, but more poetic use of language. Uh, we use words like warming the cockles of my heart. Yes. Or, yes. I remember telling Michael Chiarello that one of his dishes was like a funeral in my mouth and everyone was invited. Uh-huh. And I don't think he's talked to me. <laughs> Gosh. First I of all, he, I bet he hasn't. I, I'm, well, you said it out loud. I can't use it right now, but I would totally steal that line. That's a <laughs> That's perfect great. line. Yeah. yeah. But you, do you, okay, so here's a question. You're a writer as well. Are you. Are you writing any of your material as a judge? Like, no. are you just at home and you, okay, a uh, funeral in my mouth. You write that down no. for a moment that it could present itself or no? No. I, and in fact, I really kind of, you can see people when that happens. And I kind of dislike it because it just does it's not spontaneous. Right. Hopefully I'm quick-witted enough that I can come up with some fun things to say. Mm-hmm. That just came to me. And, you know, uh, there was one other. Are I, you critiquing me right now, probably? Mm-hmm. Uh, he wouldn't even look me in the I'm, eye. He's no, like, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, it, it's not a bad podcast. I think right. you're doing very I think a lot of times you know, I remember saying to one person that the, this dish was so bad it made me sorry that fire was cre- you know, discovered. Right. And and they just give you this look. And I, I, I don't mind. I think it's fun. And particularly, look, we're all in this business. We're all on TV. We all, we've all got egos. And sometimes, it, me, me included, it's nice just to have the, a little bit of a prod and just go, come on, let's see what happens. Right. And okay. I, so, so I've got a mischievous streak. Yeah, well, that, well. there you go. So that I think that leads to, but also let's be honest, you can't if you're just the judge that says you like everything and it was tasty and yummy, like you yeah, said. Yeah, it's meaningless. You're not going to be around too much longer, no. right? I don't think it's any fun for anyone. But then if something is great, 
I will tell you, and if you go and look at me on Iron Chef and all the shows that I've done, and something's great, I will say it. I'm a great believer in what they call in criticism the compliment sandwich, right. where you go, oh, this is great and blah, 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 but oh, I'm not sure about this, 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 and this. But, you know, I really think that you ended well with this. What's, right. the, what's the one thing if, I'm, if uh, our listeners, a lot of these list, our listeners are like competing on these shows, yes. they're young cooks. What's the one thing that you say that you know – it, you're not going to follow it with something that's really good, but you say it as a nicety. So, like for me, it's like conceptually, this is a great idea, or I love where you're going with this, or like what are some things that you catch yourself saying? I usually say things like, "I can see what you were thinking." Is a, is a regular, <laughs> right? Or, or which is, and a very British one. Nice try. Right. Uh, nice try yes. works very well. That, but which that, is, that's not nice. That's, that's, that's fighting. It's kind of nice. Nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah, but I think yes. in the British accent, yeah, oh, it was a nice try. Yeah. No, it's like, oh, jolly good. Right. Um, <laughs> right. But the way I think about it, and actually right. this is interesting for people who, who – young cooks ask me this a lot. And I said, imagine a, a kind of a chart with four squares. And you have a good idea, either well executed or badly executed – or you have a bad idea, well executed or badly executed. Mm-hmm. And that's where I try – if that's the square I draw for myself, as it were, for every dish. And every dish will come somewhere within that. It's either a great idea, beautifully executed, and or within that square. And then you go, okay, that's a great dish. Right. Or it's a great idea, but you've got some real flaws in your execution for whatever problems they may be, whether it's your own fault or it's Cutthroat Kitchen and, you know, Alton made you cook while standing on a fridge or something, whatever. Right, that, right. right. Or it's just a fundamentally a bad idea. I have no idea idea what you were thinking when you did x right and and but sometimes you can be a bad idea where you go all the elements of it are really good you could cook but they have no purpose being together yeah do you find yourself on uh since cutthroat since we share that sort of background Mm -hmm. do you find yourself trying to reverse engineer what happened to that cook no (laughs) i don't no i don't care by by, like you don't you don't care and like you're not even concerned with what they've gone through and i think partly because i'm not a chef and i you know i'm not a you know i'm a cook and i but i'm not a chef i'm not interested in that and when i go to a restaurant i don't have any interest what's happening in the kitchen and I've been in a restaurant fairly recently, and I won't name names, but they said to me, oh, you have to bear with us a little bit today. The, the, the you know, mm-hmm. chef's off in the road, the kitchen's only working at 50%. I said, well, so is my credit card. Right, right. <laughs> you're yeah. Basically, you're just telling me you're defrauding me. I mean, don't, yeah. I don't, why is that my problem? That's if I said yeah. to you, I've not, oh, I'm in a restaurant, if I came into your restaurant, I said, oh, you know what, I've had a really hard month. We're not doing so well, but can I have a full dinner? But right. just charge me, you'd, yeah. you'd soon tell me where to go. It is weird that, it, like, our industry is one of the only industries where you could even, try and get away with oh, that, yeah. right? I mean, uh, especially in the digital age, right? right. I mean, wh- when are you going to be able to say, hey, it's well, it's not our best day. <laughs> this isn't our best day. And it's the same with uh, soft openings. I get into a lot of... Uh, mm, okay, get into yeah. this with me because yeah. I'm about to get into a, so- yeah, we have so a in soft England, opening coming up. Yeah. Particularly in London, one of the how we work with soft openings is for the first month, you charge 50% for food, right. you charge 100% for alcohol, and you charge service. Because it's like a preview to theater. They're basically going, we're practicing. And yeah. you come in on that understanding, knowing we are going to mess up with timing. We're going to, you know, we're not going to do everything perfectly, but we, we're going to accept that. By charging you 50% on the food, unless we, you know, fall over with a mm. bottle of wine, we're not going to mess that up too much. Right. But we, we're working together, and we'll recognize something. Here... The soft openings in the U.S. basically go, let's feed lots of family and friends, and they'll all tell us how lovely we're doing. Yes. And then we'll open. Yeah. And here's the thing I say, and it's, uh, it might sound savage, but I truly believe it. The moment you start ch- charging full price, you've got to be offering everything you should be offering at that restaurant. Otherwise, yeah. however softly you want to put it or harshly, it's a form of fraud. You're basically not giving – you're charging me full money knowing you're not delivering. Right, right. And here's the thing. People come into those restaurants. They're excited. I know people are excited coming to your restaurant when it first opens. But they're going to give it one go. Yeah. Yes. I yeah. mean, you're, you, with you probably because your name and you know, people respect you so much, they might give it a couple of goes. Right. But you mess but, them up, they ain't not. never coming back. Yeah. That's true. That's so true. That's I actually smart. really love that. Like, really like, smart. Uh, yeah. Even like, the, I mean, we always talk about the soccer analogy where, you know, the three teams get relegated. Yep. Like, they just they kind of know how to put things they together. Don't just sound I love that smarter, half off. They are, they are smarter. smarter. That's what it is. Obviously. <laughs> I think it's just a system. That's, that's also savage AF. It is a savage way to look at the restaurant business. I mean, in the soft openings, the way we do it here in the States, yeah. you just don't get the feedback 
that you would get if people, even if you're paying half price, you're still going to get some valid feedback. Whereas you invite all your friends and family, they come in and you're just kind of they're happy. To it's like for asking free your and, mother, yeah. "Do I look nice?" Right. Yeah, yes. it's, it's meaningless. And also for you, I mean, really, the other side of that, what you're mentioning, is the practice. Like if you just are doing it on a Friday night or a Friday and Saturday night, you're really not getting the practice that you need to be up to full speed anyway. And so you need kind of- real people, not people who are going to be patient with you, like your friends and family, which is great. And look, I I don't I don't tend to go to many friends and family. I get invited yeah. to a few. Right, but I just go. I'd rather come in when you when you're open and you're doing it, yeah. and and also as a critic, uh, and there's some interesting stuff happening on that that I can't mention on air, but I'll tell you as soon as we switched off the microphones. Um, I you know I have to. I would never review a soft opening ever. I I mean I would wait, yeah. but once someone starts charging full whack, yeah, they're kind of saying we're open. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Of course. I mean, it, it makes and, sense. Well, we get, we get Yelpers that review software. Well, yeah, we have people that <laughs> review software. The, the other side of that, yeah. though, is there are people that yeah. review that, that do a do friends that. and family free meal, and well, then all of a sudden it's the first Yelp review, right? It's the, I think so that's the first, joy, yeah, the, yeah. the, the first desire, like, the first citizen dislike. critic. Yeah. Is, right. is, oh, what is, so what, what is your take on the digital era where now everyone is a critic? They don't have your pedigree. They don't have your worldly experience, but they can jump on a website and, and review a restaurant and, and declare it zero stars, not worth your money or time. It's opinions are like, you know, yeah, everyone, everyone has them. Yes. And here's the thing. People are allowed to have uh, opinions on anything, whether they enjoyed it or not. But I think it's if you're talking about proper criticism, it's about context. It's about understanding the execution. One of the issues I have sometimes with younger people criticizing food, and I use the term criticizing in the true sense, you know, of offering an opinion rather than saying something is bad, is they haven't – a lot of it's built up by experience. So, you know, I've been eating for 40-something years in restaurants and I've eaten at some of the greatest restaurants and some of the greatest chefs. So if, if I'm very fortunate in that case. But if someone brings me a dish and says it's this, you know, the other night I went to a restaurant that I, you know, um, I won't name right now because I am writing about it, but they did Rue de Vaux, the classic, uh, you know, uh, sw- uh, what do you call it, sweetbreads. Yeah. Uh, classic. Di- and it was just not good. It was, right. just wasn't well done. It's a tough thing to but, cook. But – Lots of people around were eating it. I was like, I don't know how many of them know, you know, the classic version of that and how it should taste or whether this is – if you're eating something for the first time and you go, I think this is right, it, could, it might be tasty enough. Right. But it's not – it doesn't have that beautiful quality of, you know, those milk-soaked sweetbreads that they've then, you know, got that little crunch on the outside and almost beautiful and liquidy in the middle and they're serving them. You know, just it's just missing that. For those of uh, for those of you who are listening, Redevo. So uh veal glands, basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh which can be that's why I always serve them for first timers. I just fry them and toss them in some buffalo sauce. Put, yeah, which is <laughs> <laughs> Buffalo sweetbreads are wonderful. Yes, exactly. Just give them something that they're familiar with to start. Then you can get into the maybe brown butter basting and some oh, capers. For me, capers. And, yeah. and, oh. uh, that, I mean, they're wonderful things. Yes, for sure. I, oh. So that's kind of hardcore. Like you're, you're, but you are. That's that. You're you're a serious man for sure. But I think if you do anything, and look, there are. But that's not a criticism of the person who's doing that criticism. If that makes sense, yeah, okay. it's yeah. it's it's a it's just a, it's a time issue. It's, it's societal too, right? It's, yeah, it's yeah. a time, yeah. and so if someone goes right, you know, and there are young young people out there who've made a real specific thing to go out and find the best tacos in LA, yep. and they really go into detail and they go to every place and mm-hmm. they come back, and they do research and they go to the think about the regions of Mexico. They know far more about it than I do. It's a, you know what it's about? The, what's the phrase? Due diligence. Yes. Right. Put in the effort to learn before – if you're going to a French restaurant, you're going to a Korean restaurant, put in the effort to find out what those dishes should be before you offer an opinion on them. That's, do, you, do you think the classic food critic is a uh, dying breed? Like we've, you're our second official critic that we've had on the pod. Who was the other one? Uh, Besha Rodell. Okay. Yeah. Who, again, friend but a real hardcore critic and yep. goes out there and you know I think writes her heart out every time she puts pen yeah. to paper. Uh, but I mean it – it's definitely it's it's not what it, like even for me coming up in the ranks, you know the, the the serious food critic is only around in a couple of states in a couple of cities even, uh, and it's 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 not as important as it used to be that one review from whatever it is you know the Times of X city uh, is it a dying breed is it, or is it going to come back or are we going to see a, a renaissance? I think it's changing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of it is 
it's moving in the US, I think, slightly more towards what it is in the UK, where it's seen as much as entertainment. If you read, and that's not to suggest that those the people in the UK don't know food, some some better than others, but that's inevitable. But if you've got people like Jay Rayner or Marina yeah. uh, O'Loughlin or uh, Charles Corrin to another extent, they yeah they know food, right? Uh, they but, also seem to really enjoy the zero star review. Well, no, I, here's the <laughs> interesting. I don't think they they. I mean, I think they're very good at the zero star review, but I don't think they necessarily enjoy it. But I think they see it as a type of entertainment, particularly Marina, who I think is just a wonderful, wonderful writer. If you haven't read, she's the ti- Times in London's new reviewer. She's okay. just taken over there from the Guardian, and it's. It, it's a it's basically an opinion column, and they just go after something, and they use you know, stories around it, so it mm. becomes something else other than just the focus on this restaurant. And I think here it's still very much seen or mo- in this kind of information. I need to deliver you information about this, and maybe that means that the U.S. ones like Pete Wells and all that treat it with more respect. They go to a restaurant three or four times. I don't know. I don't know what the situation is in London anymore with that. They used to, uh, but I think. That kind of criticism is where I think we're going. I think they're becoming entertaining. They're not just delivering of information about sitting down and what will be brought in front of you. Does that make you You sad or you – I mean you can see that in in Pete Wells' writing, I feel like. Well, and also the restaurants he's choosing. Yes, right. Going to review Guy Fieri or going to review – I mean those are what I call fish-in-the-barrel restaurants. There's no way the restaurant, however good, can win. Right. Right. And I kind of felt – it was unfair on Guy. Oh, I and love I've this. not eaten at the Guy's restaurant. a friend, obviously. He's yours as yeah. well, I'm sure. Uh, but never yeah, met the, him. The, the guy fe- never met him. Never oh, my gosh. Him. You're missing I'd out. I'd yeah. love to. I hear he's an amazing You're, fo- you're missing out. Uh, a really unbelievable soul. Um, but you thought that that was just a takedown, just a body if, slap. I, and here's the thing. I mean, it's a restaurant that a huge number of people enjoy. And I've not eaten there, so I have no comment on the food because I just that's meaningless. But I think sometimes it's like, I'm a little bit bored. Let me go and pick on this yeah. restaurant. I, listen, to review the yeah. restaurant, Simon, all you have to know is donkey sauce. <laughs> There's donkey sauce. It's a version of Thousand Island. There's some spice in it. It's kind of amazing. We should go do an episode of Starving for Attention at uh, Guy's American I, Place. Or I would love to go. do it. There and here's go. the thing, though, that I, I think we have to get away from. And sometimes I get called, you know, an elitist. And yes, I do. I eat at great restaurants. And we've just talked about me going to Marseille and all of this kind of nonsense. But... I think sometimes we we have to realize that, you know, some, being popular isn't bad, right? right. Oh, that's yes. yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And yeah. I think sometimes we we kind of sit there in our kind of ivory towers, and we're very fortunate being, you know, what we do, and we can go into most restaurants, and we might know someone, and we're going to have a different experience. But people are spending hard earned cash, their own hard earned, and they're entitled to spend it any way they like, and kind of cutting down the places that they go. And that doesn't, yeah. You know, I think this is true when I see people going, going on and going. Oh, all those silly people going to Applebee's or Chili's or TGA Fridays. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I if, when I'm driving around, I'm flying through an airport. I'm staying at a motel, and there's one there. I'll go and sit at the bar. I'll have some chicken wings. I'll eat. You know. Right. This is amazing. We are going to follow this up with you and I at an Applebee's, <laughs> totally. uh, and, and doing a review in the middle of wings, America. Probably. And don't yeah. make. And and I think this idea of kind of criticism shouldn't be spiteful. There's no point me going in and reviewing a restaurant whose purpose is a lot different. If you've got a new restaurant that's aiming for Michelin stars or right. just aiming for you know, even a great neighborhood place, that's different. Right, but if you've right. got a, a chain that's aiming to provide um, consistent food for a lot of people, you know – then I think it's it to me it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, Guy Fieri wasn't going for the three star New York Times review. <laughs> but just it, to be clear, but you know what? Yeah. I tell you what, and this is the one thing I will say, and it, this is and I've said it to chefs. I guarantee you that any chef in the country would want the income that comes into Guy's restaurant. Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. So I'll, sure. I'll take it right now. Yeah. Right so yeah. so you know what? But does it have, can it be restaurant and all the personality? <laughs> <celebrity> <laughs> <stuff>? Okay. <laughs> but well, I mean, he, I'm sure. But for even just the restaurant. Just yes. And so you know what? I'm sure he doesn't give two hoots. Maybe it's personally offensive to him that someone decided to right, take that right. low shot. Um, and if I met him, I'd say it to him because I think you know he does. A, he's done more 
to kind of get people excited about food. I, I met people last week, and they go, oh, kids and I, they do, we do these trips, and we follow the diners and drive-ins. Oh, yeah. So you know what? To heck with people yeah. who give him a hard exactly. time. Exactly. I, I find that stuff really offensive. Yeah. Well, 100%, you, I, Jasmine, and we'll try and get Guy are going to go to, like, an Applebee's somewhere in the middle of the country and write a review. <laughs> I need to go on Guy's Grocery Games. I've never been on. Oh, I'm heading on next it. week, so we should mm-hmm. all, tell I'll let tell them Tell him I'm know. a nice guy. Oh, Maybe you're he doesn't in. Know. Maybe you're in. Not that I can get you in, but I'll try. I'll do my best. I'm just trying to get myself Drag back in. Along, yeah. uh, but that's a perfect segue. Well, before your segue, yeah. I wanted to get back to what's the best thing you ate in Fresno? Okay, oh, so yeah. I wrote it down because I was oh, like, wow. okay, we're going to get back so to that. So there is a restaurant in, and this is a perfect example of what I was talking about in terms of people moving around. Right. So there was a, there's a chef, a young guy uh, called Jimmy Pardini, and okay. he trained here at Moza. Mm-hmm. So he has ace training. He has ace training. He uh, but went back to Fresno, where his father has a what you call, has a catering business, right? And um, he opened a restaurant there in the, at the side, a beautiful restaurant. They've done a really good job. So he does. Uh, it's a, a simple, he says, pasta dish, uh, annulotti. But he uses this corn from Fresno State University that's available for about three weeks of the year, right? Right. And he makes this annulotti, and it is so perfect. It, I mean, it's the only time in a restaurant in probably in the last 20 years where I took one bite and I actually stood up. And I was, certainly wasn't rude to the server, but I was like, stop. <laughs> nice, nice. Like, it's a big night moment. I right. was. It was. And I was like, I don't care. Whatever you do, do you mind going and getting me another plate of this? Because this is going to disappear in about five seconds and I'm not sharing it with anyone. Ooh, right. two wow. plate order. Yeah. Wow. And I was yeah. just like, bring it out. And then we ordered it again for dessert. Um, wow. So three wow. plate order. That's a Richard Blaze Hotel uh, uh, chicken wing. Order, but yeah. everywhere. Well, I'm just when it's good. I'm. I'm a great believer in uh, savory desserts. And if you have something really good, I'm not a big dessert eater. If you have something really good during the meal, I order it again for dessert. Oh, I love that. It's like the foie gras poutine at uh, Pied-à-Terre in Montreal. Sure, sure. I'll have it like four times during the meal. Nice, heavy, 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 heavy dish. It's heavy, but Uh, Perfect segue, though. So, uh, Simon, yeah, perfect segue. You travel a ton. So we play a couple games at the end. Are you game for a couple uh, rounds of something? Whatever you like. Okay, so this one's called Would You Rather... Oh, Would gosh. you rather? It's a game we play with our kids a lot, um, and there's no right or wrong answer. We just want to uh, dive into the mind of Simon Majumdar. So, would you rather? And we're kind of keeping this around the travel theme since okay. you're such a yeah, world yeah. traveler. Uh, so, Simon Majumdar, would you rather sushi or an egg salad from an airport grab and go kiosk? Sushi or Ooh. egg salad yeah. to go? Both potentially <laughs> harmful. Uh, <laughs> egg salad. Yeah. Nice. Uh, you, right. you want to follow up with a why? I'm just curious because you're such an intellect. Uh, I think <laughs> because I, I think they probably replace the egg salad more frequently than they might the sushi. <laughs> oh, I, nice. I have yeah. no idea. But I, on the pulse norm, it, normally yeah. I just have a bag of nuts at an airport. I carry mm. around nuts with me all the time. Oh, my gosh. And, and tea bags. British yeah. tea bags. There you go. Nuts and tea bags usually work <laughs> wow. together, actually. Yeah. I think yeah. we've done an episode yes. like that. I th- I'm pretty sure you yeah, have. I, have. Was, yes, I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't hoping to go down in that yeah, direction. One day that'll air. Somewhere I'm sure. Uh, okay, uh, this one I think I know the answer. Yoga room at uh, SFO, the airport, or Smokers Lounge in Atlanta. Where are you going to hang out? The yoga room. The at- yoga room. Yeah, yeah, good answer. I mean, yeah. that's a yeah. I, they, I, I I find smoking. There's Whoa. still smoking yeah. rooms in some airports. Yeah, it's kind of just yeah, still amazing. Yeah, dinosaurs. Yeah, dinosaurs. But it is kind of it is it, it becomes sort of like a zoo moment where you just like walk by and you're like, oh my god, there's like 19 <laughs> people, people in there, and they're, they're all like, in there, and there's a thick fog uh, of smoke, yeah, it's, and you see yeah, them inside. It's like I've now seen restaurants that have opened up in the smokers lounge, which is kind of crazy in Atlanta actually, but we won't get into that. Okay, this is a simple one. I think you're gonna I'm gonna know the answer here. Metro or tube? Tube. Of course. Look at that. Not even a hesitation. Uh, Border crossing. Border crossing by foot or car? Trunk. Trunk. Car trunk. Oh, car trunk. (laughs) Just kidding. Border crossing, uh, foot or car? And I'll tell you why. One of the most kind of wonderful and slightly strange border crossings I've ever done was going from Israel to Jordan. And you get there at like 4 o'clock in the morning. Okay. And you're deposited at one side. You go through there. Then you have to walk with your case like going through no man's land about 200 yards with it and then you, you have to stop in the middle while the Jordan guards come and get you and then they take you over to the other side and see you through and there's something kind of Checkpoint Charlie no yeah. man's land yes. about yes. It. and I, I like sure. that so it feels you really feel like you're traveling you're on an adventure what happens in Absolutely. that like 200 yards of no man's land is it's, it actually 
part of Jordan or Israel? Or? There's a split down the middle. Nice. Okay. But, you, but it's, it's actually, and, but it's just that thing of walking yeah. across, and you really feel like you're traveling. That's what it's about. And you get to the yeah. other side, and they stamp your passport, and it just feels something wonderful about it. Unbelievable. Not as serious. Chips or French fries? Chips. Uh, French, fries just, are, so, uh, French fries are just awful things. Uh, <laughs> channel or flight from Paris to London? Oh, channel. I can be from my apartment <laughs> in London to the center of Paris in three hours. Wow. Okay. Uh, using the channel, I live uh, my apartment. Well, I live here, obviously now in LA. Right. But my ch- my apartment, that I still have there. By the way, do you Airbnb the apartment? Because we we, we want to d- know. We do. So, okay, I right. always use, we use Airbnb everywhere in the really? world. We have used it in really? Colombia. Yeah. We've used it in Bangkok. We used it in. Uh, ev- I mean, everywhere we all, we use it in Azerbaijan. We had the most gorgeous apartment owned by this woman who was an architect, and it was just glorious in Baku, yeah. the capital. Wow. There. Quick little uh, sidebar. Then, yes. do you think that there's room for the Airbnb for restaurants? Meaning, like, would you go to just some young chef's home instead of going to pay at a restaurant? Well, in fact, you see that a lot abroad yeah. again. Yeah. When we were in, uh, where were we most recently? Oh, we were in Ye- um, Yerevan. Oh no, we we're in Tbilisi, Georgia. Okay. It's an amazing city if you ever get a chance to go. And a lot of young chefs are doing that because it's hard for them to afford the rent for restaurants. So these really talented chefs in Tbilisi, wonderful food, some of the best produce you'll ever eat because they don't have a lot of big agriculture. A lot of the young chefs are doing that, and it's fantastic. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's something that I should be working on. Okay. Uh, Indian food in England or English food in India? (laughs) Oh. Actually, you know, that's quite – that's a great question. Um, English food in India, I'm going to go for it. And wow. I'll tell you, I tell you that's why. A, that's the surprise. And I might change my answer if I did it tomorrow, but I'll tell you why. There's some of those dishes that they do in India that they do back in the days as they were in the Raj because they haven't kind of moved on with doing that because you know, obviously they've got plenty of other stuff to cook. Right. So you can go and get a great kedgeri, like a British-style kedgeri, right. or a, uh, they do like a – a bacon sandwich, but like it was 50 years ago. So it, from that kind of Proustian nostalgia, right. I think I would go for b- British food in India. Nice. nice. That was a surprise one. Uh, brunch or high tea? Oh, high tea. Well, well here's the thing. A, I, I don't like brunch. It's rather grim. Right. Uh, but high, <laughs> it's not really high tea. Okay. So high tea actually was the poor person's meal that you had in Victorian times. That's what the poor people had. That was bread and jam and stuff. Yeah. It, it was afternoon tea. Mm. Afternoon tea. I think tea. we said that. So yeah. you've got yeah. yeah. to do your research when I come. But here, can I tell you an interesting yeah, yeah, story sure. about that? So that all started because this uh, rather unfortunate name of this aristocratic woman, the Duchess of Beaver up in <laughs> Beaver Castle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she got used to get, she complained of, and it's, it's all went down, yeah, feeling, yeah, a sinking feeling in the afternoon. So they used to bring her a few sandwiches and stuff. And then when she went back to her London home, everyone, she would get people to join her. And so that's when afternoon tea really began in the kind of 1800s. Oh, wow. And when you went to these afternoon teas, when they started having them in hotels, so you didn't know everyone who would necessarily be around you when the first hotel opened. I think it was Brown's Hotel. It's the first hotel in London, owned by Lord Byron's butler. But they would drink tea, and they would have their on their pinky uh, finger, they would have the ring of their family. So that's why they would raise their finger to show, to show which family, as people yes. walk by, that they were from a, a family. And that's why we raise our pinky when we drink. So that's why it's associated with being posh. Yes. So so Game of Thrones. Awesome. Isn't that wonderful uh, stuff? I, I love it stuff is. Like it that. is. That is awesome. uh, last one. This is just for me because I'm trying to become a good traveler. Carry, or, carry on or, or, or check your bag. I'm a checker. Yeah. Uh, drives my wife nuts. <laughs> but I'm, because she goes... Who's, who wants to lug it around, right? Well, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, in the airport, I want to be free and free to run wild. And I also, the other thing is, in the airport... You can see I'm wearing my Fitbit, yeah. which has Ooh, helped me lose I, a lot of weight. Just, yeah, there you go. And you have lost a lot. You look great. Well, yeah, I'm feeling a little heavy right now because I've been eating a lot over the last few days. But I, I'm much better, and I love – yeah, I'm feeling a lot he- healthier. But I, I walk around airports a lot. And here's the thing. A few years ago, I was always getting stopped by mm-hmm. security. Right. Just walking up. Even if it's a small airport, you walk up and down. Nowadays, they, they kind of look at you, and they see this, and they go, the one said to me today, in D- yesterday in D.C., they go, oh, you're one of those. Yeah. <laughs> it's what we, we I do this all the time. You could put three or four miles on. Easy. By just waiting for a flight. 10,000 yeah. steps before I've even got on the plane. So yeah. I'm, I'm definitely a, a checker. Drives my wife completely bonkers. But yeah. if, you're, if you're dragging your bag behind you, you're burning a couple more calories. Ooh. You are, but it's like yeah, but it's such a pain. And, but so. you might not be swinging the arms and you're not getting the steps. You're not, getting, Fitbit, you're not so. getting the movement. <laughs> I like you're not it. Getting, I like but it. also, 
I, I overpack. I'm a horrible overpack. Oh. I don't travel light. Mm-hmm. My wife, yeah. Me too. Because I always say to my wife, I use the line from Seinfeld, I, when they're flying to L.A. to film and, and George comes up with like eight suitcases. <laughs> and he goes, I dress according to my moods. <laughs> so I say this to my wife. She hates it. Nice. Nice. Perfect. Well, listen, you've put us in a good mood. Today's been kind of awesome. We also do this thing at the end of each show where we ask our guests to 86. <laughs> It's 86. That means get rid of, yep. as you know, one thing, whatever they want. It could be in the food world, the history world. Uh, it could be whatever you want. But Ooh. what does Simon Majumdar want to 86? That's- so I had I had two choices, but I know I've got to choose one. Okay. One was going to be, but I haven't gone for this, was going to be slates as plates. Stop it. Uh, Stop it. Yes. <laughs> Give me a plate. And also, like, right. bother when, when, a, when a knife is on, on a slate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's a horrible like, noise. That's, yeah. that's, Heather, we're going to have to drop that sound effect in on that. <laughs> Yes, I do not like that. But in the end, I've got to keep up my battle, which I know a lot of us have, truffle oil. Yes. Wow. I want it to be – it is proof of Satan's existence. (laughs) I want it taken off the face of God's good earth. It stinks like death. Truffles I adore. Right, right. right. But we all know that this is made with some compound called 2,4-sodium dipsopenthane or something. Right. Otherwise known as the voice of my new operating system. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So it's basically a chemical that replicates to an extent the stink of or the smell of um, truffles. And to me, I can smell it. In fact, on Cutthroat Kitchen, I could smell it as I was coming down the steps. And I would actually see it. On the counter of somebody, and I was like, there's no way they're going through. Because all you, it just takes over every dish. Well, listen, yeah. uh, chefs in the Los Angeles area, Simon Majumdar's here today. So do not serve a goat cheese tart on a slate plate do it. drizzled with truffle oil. Uh, sir, I have to call you sir, I feel like. It has been an absolute pleasure. It, you are the man. It, it, oh, yeah. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. And now you are the gonna, you're going to be the resident uh, his, history professor here, if you don't mind. I, anytime you need yeah. me. So I, this has been a joy. I've been wanting to do this for so long. I was like, they never asked me back after no, I couldn't do it before. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. No, we've no, been asking you, you back all the time. You have. We found it. Uh, we'll have to do dinner with the families together. I know that's something I've been trying to, to get you to do My wife was saying well. the same thing yeah. when she dropped me off here. She, my, my chauffeur, God bless nice. her. She was doing some work around the corner. Nice. So. We'll go to uh, Zakarian's place. That's we'll kick back some Dover souls. We'll call us a scene. I'll pre-war. Him. <laughs> Got it. He's uh, he's if he's there, it gets very messy though because he <laughs> likes to have a, he likes to have a cocktail or two when we hang out. He's he's the most fun to hang out with you will ever meet. He's seriously I, when pe- people ask me about him, I don't think there's anyone who just makes me laugh so much. Sometimes kind of unexpectedly. We'll have to get him on the pod. Hey everyone, thank yeah. you for listening to Starving for Attention. Uh, do us a favor. You like this episode with Simon Majumdar? Uh, go on to Apple Podcasts and do us a favor. Hit subscribe. It's free. You can do that. It takes like two minutes. Go find someone else as well. Your coworker, a friend, someone in your family. Grab their phone and their device. Grab their tablet as well and subscribe. Uh, it means a lot to us. It keeps us uh, producing amazing content. Uh, And if you don't have uh, an iPhone, you can go over to Podcast One uh, and you can subscribe there. uh, And we'll see you next week. Until then, stay hungry. Thanks for listening to Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze. Download new episodes every Tuesday on the Podcast One app, Apple Podcasts, or PodcastOne.com. The Serial Killer Podcast, hosted by me, Thomas Weiberg Thune, is the podcast dedicated to serial killers, who they were, what they did, and how. Join me as I sit down bi-weekly to bring you, dear listener, into the dark land of serial murder and psychopathy. The show goes into graphic detail on the most infamous and lesser-known serial killers from around the world, with each episode covering one unique serial killer. So far, the show has covered serial killer superstars, such as BTK, Jeffrey Dahmer, and the Yorkshire Ripper, and lesser-known killers, such as Elias Abuelazan and Anatoly Onoprienko. Be advised, this show is not for children, as it takes you deep into the twisted world of ultimate evil. You can find me exclusively at podcastone.com or on the new Podcast One app. Also, don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts.